we'd like to take a moment to tell you about our other podcast, Everyday Saints. Everyday Saints is about the topics we all want to hear, and maybe some you don't even know are a thing. Hosted by me, Valerie Loveless, we delve into the things Everyday Saints want to know more about. Little-known temple facts, challenges from the prophet, how to live your best life in the spirit of the gospel, and more. Look for the Captain Moroni in your podcasting app. Brought to you by Cedarfort Publishing and Media. Hi, and welcome to today's podcast. This will be section 45 of the Doctrine and Covenants. I am David J. Ridges, the author of Your Study of the Doctrine and Covenants Made Easier, which is a three-volume study guide covering every verse of the Doctrine and Covenants with brief commentary and helps along the way. As we begin our study of section 45, let's do a little bit of background. There, at this time, were about 2,000 members of the church. Also, at this point in church history, Sidney Rigdon's mother and oldest brother will join the church. Part of the background involves what you can read in the heading to section 45, which is that there were many false rumors and false stories being circulated uh, all around in an attempt to stop the progress of the church and to stop people from joining it. This is uh, quite a lot like in our day. There are still many false notions and false rumors about who we are and what we believe. A major message that we'll see time and again in section 45 is that during troubled times such as we're in now and as such as the saints were in when section 45 was given, perspective gives power and strength to endure. Now, this section is loaded with many, many topics. For quick examples, uh, we will have the Savior tell us and teach us that at this point in church history, section 45, the second coming will come somewhat sooner than we think based on what we're seeing around us. That certainly applies to us. Also, Christ encourages us by reminding us that he is our advocate with the Father. He wants us to succeed. We'll do more with that in a couple of minutes. The Savior reminds us that he was with us in the beginning and will be there in the end of this phase of the plan of salvation. He was there in the pre-mortal life, and he created the earth and the heavens, and he will be there and be our final judge. He also talks of the everlasting covenant and explains its purposes. We'll do some with that in a minute. He mentions the city of Enoch. That's an interesting topic. He explains that he is going to reason with us on our level, like he did with people anciently, so that we can plainly understand. Jesus will also, in section 45, quote extensively from the Olivet Discourse. In other words, from Matthew chapter 24 in the New Testament, it contains many of the signs of the times, which are prophecies that will be fulfilled in leading up to the second coming, they will alert us that the second coming is near. We'll see this in several verses in section 45. He also will teach us uh, some details about his appearance to the Jews in the last days. 
That'll happen in the Holy Land. The Mount of Olives will split open. We'll read some verses about that. He will give us some details about the millennium, including that children will grow up without sin under salvation. He will also mention the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible, in other words, the JST. He will also mention the New Jerusalem. Now, let's go back to the beginning of section 45 and discuss several of these in the time that we have. You may want to have your scriptures close by, by the way, so that you can refer to them as I refer to certain verses here. In verse 1, we are reminded, and these folks in the early days of the church were reminded, that they are already in the Lord's kingdom here on earth. In other words, they are already members of the true church of Jesus Christ. And the hint is, don't do anything that would put you out of it. Let's read verse 1, section 45. Hearken, O ye people of my church, to whom the kingdom has been given. Hearken ye, and give ear to him, meaning Christ, who laid the foundation of the earth, who made the heavens and all the hosts thereof, and by whom all things were made, which live and move and have a being. Now go back to the first part of verse 1. Hearken, O ye people of my church, to whom the kingdom has been given. In other words, we, they, all of us who are members of the church, we are already in the kingdom. That's exciting. And then let's not do anything that would get us put out of it. Jesus also gave his credentials there in verse 1, that he's the one who laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens, and by whom all things live and move and have a being. Now there's a warning in verse 2 that we better not slack off. Also that the second coming will come at a time that we don't quite think it will come. Let's read verse 2. And again I say, hearken unto my voice, lest death shall overtake you in an hour when you think not that the summer shall be passed. In other words, we look at the signs of the times, we're saying, well, there's quite a few left to be fulfilled, so probably the second coming won't come for whatever we're thinking there. But he warns us uh, that spiritual death, verse 2, death meaning spiritual death, and physical death, shall overtake you in an hour when you think not, the summer shall be past. In other words, our mortal probation will be over, and the harvest ended, and your soul's not saved. That's a pretty serious warning. Don't slack off. Yeah. Just stay in the kingdom. Now, on the heels of verse 2, that warning, there's a beautiful set of verses, verses 3 to 5, that are some of my very favorites. Uh, it, it, Jesus tells us that he is our advocate. An advocate in a court of law might be considered a lawyer or an attorney. In other words, Christ is on our side. He wants us to succeed. By the way, if he's our advocate, our attorney, and according to John chapter 5, verse 22 in the Bible, he is also our final judge, what kind of a chance does that give us? Well, all we have to do is do our best to live the gospel, and then he will be our advocate and our final judge. I would say that's a pretty good uh, optimistic setup for our succeeding. Let's read verses 3 to 5. Listen to him who is the advocate with the Father, who is pleading your cause before him, saying, 
Father, behold the sufferings and death of him who did no sin, in whom thou wast well pleased. Behold the blood of thy son which was shed, the blood of him whom thou gavest, that thyself might be glorified. And then I'm going to change the wording just a little to make it even more personal. Wherefore, Father, spare this my brother, or this my sister, meaning you, meaning me, that believe on my name, that they may come unto me and have everlasting life. Everlasting life is another phrase for exaltation, another phrase for eternal life. Now, in verses 6 to 8, can you feel the urgency? He's told us to. we are already in his kingdom. Don't do anything to put ourselves out of it. And again, the urgency that we stay on the covenant path, starting with verse 6 now. Hearken, O ye people of my church, and ye elders, listen together, and hear my voice while it is called today. In other words, the time is reasonably short and getting shorter. So hear my voice while it is caused to, while it is called today, while you have a chance. There is urgency there, and harden not your heart. Now he gives his credentials again. For verily I say unto you, verse 7, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the light and the life of the world, a light that shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. And then he reminds us, verse 8, I came unto mine own, in other words, to the Jews, his own people, and mine own received me not. But listen up, he says, to you and to me, but unto as many as received me, Peter, James, John, Mary, Martha, many, many others then, back then, and also now, to as, unto as many as received me gave I power to do many miracles and to become the sons of God. To become the sons and daughters of God is another phrase that means exaltation. And even unto them that believed on my name gave I power to obtain eternal life. What does eternal life mean? We just said it means exaltation. Now, uh, You've probably heard the term everlasting covenant many times, unless you're a brand new convert to the church. What does the term everlasting covenant mean? Well, verse 9 explains it. And even so have I sent mine everlasting covenant. By the way, if you're marking your scriptures, you might just underline or mark everlasting covenant, but the full gospel. You can see that in section 133, verse 57. 133 verse 57 so verse 9 and even so have I sent my everlasting covenant into the world to be a light to the world that's one of the purposes of the full gospel the everlasting covenant to be a light to the world and to be a standard for my people that's another purpose be a standard for us and for the Gentiles to seek to it and Third major purpose, to be a messenger before my face, to prepare the way before me. So, the everlasting covenant, we talk about that often in our gospel discussions. You can see what the purposes are in verse 9. Now let's move quickly to verses uh, 11 to 14. We know the city of Enoch was taken up. The people, by the way, were translated and taken up with their houses their land, their gardens, their cattle, and so forth. We understand this from 
a statement by President Brigham Young. You can find that in Discourses of Brigham Young, page 105. In section 45 here now, in verses 11 to 14, the Savior mentions the city of Eni. Let's see what it says. Wherefore, hearken ye together, and let me show unto you even my wisdom, the wisdom of him who ye say, whom ye say is the God of Enoch, and his brethren, who were separated from the earth. In other words, they were taken up. The city, the city of Enoch was taken up, and were received unto myself, a city reserved until a day of righteousness shall come. That, in other words, is the second coming. A day which was sought for by all holy men, and they found it not because of wickedness and abominations. But before we go to verse 13, I'll just mention, I had an institute student who stayed after class once, and I guess she had some rather rowdy uh, roommates that were members of the church, but were not keeping the church standards, and several in the social situation in which she found herself were members of the church but really not living the gospel and she said she just feels so alone at times and i took her to section 45 verse 13 and um, said i bet you kind of feel like these folks do and we read verse 13 together and confess they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth in other words sometimes even among our own members of the church, you can sort of feel like a stranger and pilgrim because you're trying to live the gospel. She looked at that and a feeling of calm and relief came over her face and says, okay, I guess I'm not alone in that feeling. I was kind of worried that I was being uh, maybe out of line thinking that way. But Doctrine and Covenants 45 and 13 came to her rescue. Now, in this section, Jesus explains that he will speak to us and reason with us on our level so that we can understand. I love this. It's verses 15 and 16. Let's read them. Section 45, verse 15. Wherefore, hearken, and I will reason with you, and I will speak unto you and prophesy as unto men in days of old. And, verse 16, I will show it plainly as I showed it unto my disciples, as I stood before them in the flesh. I love that. He's willing. He's so absolutely ahead of us. And yet uh, he is humble and will deal with us in ways that we can understand. And one of the reasons, of course, is verse three. He's our advocate and he wants to teach us and he wants us to be able to understand. And if we understand, then we can live it, live the gospel. Now, uh, we're going to move into the signs of the times now. Signs of the times, as I mentioned a little bit ago, our prophecies have been given since the beginning that will be fulfilled in the last days leading up to the second coming of Christ. There were also a set of signs of the times, and Jesus is going to refer to them here, that were for his disciples in Jerusalem before uh, Jerusalem was destroyed in about 70 AD. So let's start with verse 16. He says, I will show it plainly as I showed it unto my disciples, as I stood before them in the flesh, in other words, while he was still mortal, and spake unto them, saying, As ye have asked me concerning the signs of my coming in the day when I shall come in my glory. Now that's our day, of course, when he'll come in the clouds of heaven in glory and great power. Continuing with verse 16, 
I shall come when I shall come in my glory in the clouds of heaven to fulfill the promises that I have made unto your fathers. That's the second coming there, if you want to make a little note in your scriptures. Verse 17, For as ye have looked upon the long absence of your spirits from your bodies to be a bondage, that's a major doctrine right there. When we die and our, we no longer have our mortal body, we will feel like we're in a bit of bondage. We will miss our physical body and we'll look forward to the resurrection when we are complete again. Going back to verse 17, I will show unto you how the day of redemption shall come, and also the restoration of scattered Israel. Now, by the way, that's the gather, gathering, and President Nelson and other of the others of the church leaders emphasize constantly that we are gathering Israel. Here it's mentioned at the end of verse 17, the restoration of the scattered Israel. Now, in verse 18, He's going to refer specifically to the destruction of Jerusalem. The Romans will come in finally exasperated with the Jews, and in about 70 AD, they will completely destroy. They even, uh, in their destruction of cities, the Romans went to all the work to tunnel under the walls, major walls of a city, and put timbers in to hold it up, and then they would back out and set it all on fire, and the walls would, of course, crash into the unsupported tunnel. And so every stone, basically, was uh, removed from one another. So let's read verse 18. And now ye behold this temple, the Jerusalem temple, which is in Jerusalem, which ye call the house of God. In other words, they have defiled it and have rebelled against the gospel that they had been taught. And so they were calling it the temple but and the house of God. But the inference is, it's not my house anymore. You have defiled it and spiritually destroyed it. That which ye call the house of God, and your enemies say, this house shall never fall. But verse 19, verily I say unto you, that desolation shall come upon this generation, in other words, that generation of Jews, as a thief in the night, in other words, they would not expect it. It'll be a huge, terrible surprise to them. And this people shall be destroyed and scattered among all nations. That's the scattering of the Jews. And the northern tribes had already been scattered when the Assyrians came in and took them captive and scattered them. So Israel, at this point of prophecy, is basically being scattered to all the world. Verse 20, And this temple which ye now see shall be thrown down, that there shall not be left one stone upon another. That's a huge set of prophecies regarding the Jews. And so those were some of their signs of the times. Let's us jump ahead to our signs of the times for our day. And let's go to verses 25 to 28. In fact, let's uh, start with verse 24. You might want to follow along carefully and perhaps even mark some of the major topics here. Verse 24, And this I have told you concerning Jerusalem. In other words, what will happen, uh, what would was to happen after Christ was crucified and up till about 70 AD when Jerusalem and the area was uh, just destroyed. And when that day shall come, shall a remnant be scattered among all nations. That's the scattering of Israel back then. 
But verse 25 starts with our day. But they, the Jews, and all of Israel, of course, shall be gathered. That's a major point. Shall be gathered again. But they shall remain until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, what are the times of the Gentiles? That means you, you perhaps remember that the prophecy is that in the last days, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. In other words, the Gentiles, meaning non-Jews, will be gathered first as we send missionaries out. And then the Jews will be gathered last. The gospel will be taken to them last. And so verse 25 is telling us that when we see this sign of the times that the gospel is going to the Gentiles, but not yet the Jews formally, then we know that we are in the dispensation that will precede the second coming of Christ. Now, verse 26 is very familiar in our day when the signs of the times. And in that day, meaning the last days when the gathering of Israel starts taking place, and in that day shall be heard of wars and rumors of wars, and the whole earth shall be in commotion. How's that for a sign of the time? Just read the newspaper, listen to the news, whatever. The whole earth is in commotion. That sign is certainly being fulfilled. And men's hearts shall fail them. There will be a lot of people that give up hope. And we'll get into a lot of depression. And they shall say that Christ delayeth his coming until the end of the earth. There will be a lot of people who worry that Christ isn't going to get here in time and that the whole human race is going to be wiped off the earth by all the wickedness and all the bad things that are happening. Well, uh, of course, he will get here exactly at the right time. And the love of men shall wax cold. People will no longer have natural affection. And iniquity shall abound. Wickedness will be everywhere. However, those for signs of the times. And verse 28, going back to the times of the Gentiles, when it comes, we're in that phase right now. We're taking the gospel to all the world, but we are not yet formally taking the gospel to the Jews. Their time will come, but not until the Lord tells the prophet to do it. Verse 28, and when the times of the Gentiles is come in, a light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness, that sit in spiritual darkness. That, and what is that light? And it shall be the fullness of my gospel. That's the restoration that starts, that has started in our day, the restoration of the gospel through Joseph Smith. Well, let's uh, move ahead. Uh, what do we do during these troubled times? Well, the Doctrine and Covenant section 45 has a real good couple of answers to us. Let's go to verse 32. What do we do? We are in the middle of these signs of the times. They're happening all around us. What do we do? Verse 32. But my disciples shall stand, in other words, my followers, Disciples, another word for disciple, is my sincere followers, those who are striving to stay on the covenant path. What do we do? My disciples shall stand in holy places. What are some holy places? First of all, our homes need to be holy places and have been made even holier by the marvelous revelation through President Nelson that our homes are to be gospel-centered, church-supported centers, 
of learning and worship. So stand, they shall stand in holy places and shall not be moved. In other words, if you're on the covenant path, stay on it. Don't let anything take you off. But what about the wicked? Verse 32 continued, But among the wicked men shall lift up their voices and curse God and die. In other words, Satan will rage in the hearts of people and make them bitter and angry at truth and at the gospel and everything good. Now, some more signs of the times. And there, verse 33, there shall be earthquakes also in diverse places and many desolations. Yet men will harden their hearts against me, and they will take up the sword one against another, and they will kill one another. We see that everywhere. Well, one more answer here in section 45 as to what we do. How do we survive these troubled times? Well, in our own minds and hearts, verse 35 gives some marvelous counsel. Verse 35, and by the way, that's what the disciples in Jerusalem were basically asking the Savior, what do we do? Verse 34, now verse 35, and I said unto them, be not troubled. I love that. That's straight counsel. He's reasoning with us on our level. You can't misunderstand that. Don't get all upset. Be not troubled. And then he goes on to tell us that when you see these signs of the times being fulfilled all around you, use it as a testimony that the gospel is true. Let's see how he says that. Verse 35, And I said unto them, Be not troubled, for when all these things shall come to pass, everything we've been reading about, ye may know that the promises which have been made unto you shall be fulfilled. In other words, this is a marvelous and major testimony building for us. They were prophesied, they're being fulfilled. We can see that. It's very simple, not complicated at all. It's to strengthen our testimony, your testimony and my testimony. Now, let's move ahead to a, another uh, important, there's so many very important things here in section 45. Uh, in order to strengthen us in what he's just told us, to be not troubled, uh, we're going to be given a little parable, starting with verse 36, and we'll go on to verse 39. Verse 36, and when the light shall begin to break forth, in other words, as the restoration continues. By the way, as President Nelson has said many times, this is the ongoing restoration. It is not yet finished. We are watching it all around and excited by it. Verse 36, And when the light shall begin to break forth, it shall be with them like unto a parable, which I will show you. So I'm going to show you a parable now to help you understand um, how you can be not troubled. Verse 37, You look and behold the fig trees. There were fig trees everywhere over in the Holy Land. And ye see them with your eyes. And ye say, when they begin to shoot forth, and their leaves are yet tender, that summer is now nigh at hand. Even so it shall be in that day, in other words, the last days, when they shall see all these things, all these signs of the times. Then shall they know that the hour is nigh. And, verse 39, it shall come to pass that he that feareth me, in other words, that loves the Lord and is striving to be on the covenant path, 
That does not mean fear and trembling because of God. It means those that re, is the, those that are living righteously, striving to live righteously. Alma 34, verses 33 to 36, uh, give us a key to living righteously, and it is improving, constantly striving to improve, even in little ways, as President Hinckley often told us. Verse 39, it shall come to pass that he that feareth me shall be looking forth for the great day of the Lord to come, even for the signs of the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, they will be looking with interest and anxiously looking for the actual second coming rather than being troubled. They will be standing in holy places. Well, uh, what will the second coming be like? Let's go to uh, verses 44 and 45 for a minute here in the little bit of time that we have left. Verse 44, And then shall they look for me, and behold, I will come, and they shall see me in the clouds of heaven, clothed with power and great glory with all the holy angels. That's exciting. By the way, we know from section 88, verse 96, that the righteous who are still alive will actually be caught up to meet him. That's before the wicked are burned. That's something to look forward to. Be interesting to see how they do that with us. And in verse 44, and he that watches not for me, in other words, who is not living righteously, shall be cut off. Verse 45, but before the arm of the Lord shall fall, in other words, before the second coming, an angel shall sound his trump, and the saints that have slept shall come forth to meet me in the cloud. In other words, the righteous saints who have died already will be resurrected and brought up to meet him. In other words, if you are still alive when the second coming comes and you are striving to stay on the covenant path earnestly and honestly, you will be taken up and your Parents or grandparents or ancestors who were righteous will also be, res they will be resurrected and taken up. I suspect that will be a wonderful uh, situation in which hopefully we'll be able to chat with them and just excitedly, I guess we'd probably want to be real reverent. But at any rate, you and your righteous ancestors will then come back down on earth with Christ. You will continue your mortal life. They will come and go as resurrected beings uh, as needed and as uh, opportunity permits, probably to even come to your family home evening on occasions. That's just my idea. Then, after the righteous are taken up, verse 47 says, Then shall the arm of the Lord fall upon the nations. In other words, the wicked will be destroyed. Now, you, you may have noticed that these verses are not all in chronological order. Now, let's take a couple of minutes and look at the appearance of the Jews before the second coming comes that we just discussed. Like I said, these verses are not in chronological order. The Lord is going back and filling in some details for us. So let's look at the appearance to the Jews in starting with verse 48 and going to 53. Then we'll have to wind it up here. Verse 48. And then, meaning the last days, 
shall the Lord set his foot upon this mountain, in other words, the Mount of Olives. He's going to appear to the Jews before his big second coming to all the world. And then shall the Lord set his foot upon this mount, meaning the Mount of Olives, verse 48, and it shall cleave in twain. It's going to split in two. Part of it will go north, part of it will go south. And the earth shall tremble and reel to and fro, and the heavens also shall shake. In other words, everyone will feel the earthquake when the Mount of Olives splits open. And so you, if you know the signs of the times and you see a major earthquake and the seismographic center at the University of Utah puts out the news that this was seems to be the epicenter was somewhere just barely east of Jerusalem in the Holy Land, you'll say, ooh, that's what's happening, folks. Verse 49, and the Lord shall utter his voice. In other words, this is not a secret. All the ends of the earth shall hear it, and the nations of the earth shall mourn. They that have laughed at the gospel and the people that live the gospel shall see their folly. Let's go to verse 51. And then shall the Jews look upon me. In other words, he's appearing to them in that earthquake-caused valley when the Mount of Olives split open. And the Jews, verse 51, will look upon me and say, What are these wounds in thine hands and in thy feet? And then shall they know that I am the Lord, verse 52, for I will say unto them, These wounds are the wounds with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. I am he who was lifted up. I am Jesus Christ that was crucified. I am the Son of God. What is their reaction? And then shall they weep because of their iniquities. Then shall they lament because they persecuted their king. But we find in other scriptures that Many of them will at that point be humbled and converted, and there will be a huge conversion of the Jews at this point before the second coming. Uh, as the millennium begins now, section 45 talks about the millennium. What happens to Satan? Answer, verse 55, might underline, and Satan shall be bound. By the way, section 101, verse 28 confirms Section 101, verse 28, confirms that Satan will have no power to tempt at all during the millennium. That will be a marvelous time of peace. What about children? Verse 58 says, And the earth shall be given unto them for an inheritance, and they, meaning righteous people during the millennium, shall multiply and wax strong. In other words, the mortal people who are still on earth will be able to have children, and wonderful families, and their children shall grow up without sin unto salvation. That would be a wonderful time to be raising children, wouldn't it? Now, what kind of government will we have, according to section 45? During the millennium, look at verse 59. For the Lord shall be in their midst, and his glory shall be upon them, and he will be their king and their lawgiver. We call that a theocracy. Now, in verse 60 and 61, the Savior says to Joseph Smith, I'm not going to tell you any more about these things until you finish the JST. In other words, until you finish the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible. Then one last thing. Uh, this section in verse 66 mentions the New Jerusalem. It will be a land of peace, a city and a, of refuge, a place of safety for the saints of the Most High God. And we would have to discuss that at another time. I bear witness that section 45 is a marvelous 
message from the Savior where he is reasoning with us at our level and wants us to understand the gospel and live it so he can successfully be our advocate on our final judgment day. And, of course, right now, uh, we're getting help all the time from him through the Holy Ghost. And I leave this testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.